This is Academically Speaking, a podcast hosted by Dr. Theodora Regina Berry, Vice Provost and Dean of UCF's College of Undergraduate Studies. It features inspirational stories from the college's faculty, students, and alumni about the transformational power of education. Hello and welcome to Academically Speaking. I am Dr. Theodora Regina Berry, Vice Provost and Dean of the College of Undergraduate Studies here at the University of Central Florida. And with me today, I have the pleasure of having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Daryl Gordon. Daryl joined the College of Undergraduate Studies in October of 2023. And prior to joining the college, he served as the coordinator for student academic services and chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for UCF's College of Health Professions and Sciences. Dr. Gordon also was career program advisor for Seminole State College and their Emerge program and coordinator of special populations at Daytona State College. He serves as president of UCF's Black Faculty and Staff Association. Dr. Gordon earned his PhD in education from UCF, a Master of Education in Higher Education from Georgia Southern University, and a Bachelor of Science in Political Science from Florida A&M University. Go Rattlers. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Gordon. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm a little bit excited and a little bit terrified, but nonetheless, happy to be here. Well, don't be terrified. We're just going to have a wonderful conversation, learn a little bit about you, your interests, your profession, and um, have some fun. Okay, excellent. So you recently earned your doctorate in education. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. It is probably the hardest thing I've ever worked on in my entire life. Um, but it was so fulfilling. So I'm super excited to have completed. So why education? Um, to be honest, I fell into education. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in political science with concentration in pre-law because I was totally convinced and I had my entire family convinced um, that I wanted to be a lawyer. So when ever since I was little, it was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. I think it stemmed from I grew up a lot with my grandparents and we used to watch Matlock all the time. So like I was one of those kids. I was a Matlock in the heat of the night type of, (laughs) you know, kid. Um, And so for me, I just was like, I'm going to be Matlock one day. Like I'm going to be a lawyer. And I just remember being so terrified when I graduated from undergrad because I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so ended up doing Teach for America. um, And so got into K through 12 education first. And I respect and love all of the teachers out there, but it was not for me. I was like, this is not a thing. Um, And I remember being on the phone with one of my mentors who happens to be the vice president of student affairs at FAMU. And he was like, Daryl, you were a super active student at FAMU. Like, you know, you were super involved. He was like, have you ever thought about like a career in higher ed? And funny enough, I didn't really know that was a thing, which is weird. I don't think most students know 
um, about a career in higher ed. I think we're so consumed with being students that we don't really realize people actually do this as a job and there are jobs here. And so I was like, no, I haven't. And so was transitioning out and started my career at Daytona State. And I've been here ever since. And I just love higher ed. Um, got my master's in higher ed um, because I loved it so much. And I think for me, my PhD program really helped me to learn more about what most people don't talk about in higher ed. And my dissertation focused on organizational culture in higher ed, which is very different from what most people focus on. Most people focus on the student or the academics. They don't really focus on the organizational piece of higher ed. And that's the thing that kind of geeks me out, which is kind of geeky, I know. But I love the the inner workings of how do we keep the institutional running? How, how does culture impact um, overall all the things that we do all the way down from the way our faculty and our staff are all the way down to how our students, how it influences how our students matriculate? Okay, excellent. And and it's interesting because I have a similar story. My mother taught school and I remember thinking to myself throughout my childhood, that is not the job for me. <laughs> I and and largely not because I didn't think that what she did was important because it was clear to me it was important. And I spent a lot of time in my mother's classrooms at multiple schools uh, in the school district of Philadelphia and would help her out cleaning the desk. My mother cleaned everything, oh, by the way. I, you, you know. <laughs> grade school is really uh, a cesspool <laughs> sometimes when it comes to... Elementary and middle school. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was, you know, my mother would walk into the classroom. she have, uh, and I don't even know that they sell this stuff anymore, but she would have these bottles of ammonia Oh, yeah. Ooh, I remember that. <laughs> Again, I grew up my grandparents, so, yeah, I definitely know about ammonia. Bot- bottles of ammonia and would scrub down every single desk, you know, put some hot water in the bucket with some ammonia, scrub down every single desk before school got started, clean the boards and all of that sort of thing. And when those kids left, she'd scrub down everything, spray Lysol on everything, and... Of course, because especially by the time I got to high school, I would go to my mother's school. She'd have me clean the classroom with her. And I'm thinking, this is not for me. Right? But more importantly, the, the thing that a lot of people don't realize about most K-12 teachers is that they spend a lot of time working outside of the classroom. Yes, they do. And my mother was the kind of teacher that everywhere she went, she either ran into parents of current students, parents of former students, or former students. So if normally it took you five minutes to walk from one end of the block to the other, not my mother, you're talking about 20 minutes because somebody's gonna stop her along the way and talk to her about either being a student in her class or oh, Miss Barry, my son has a problem with such and such. Can I come and see? And I'm thinking, can we just go? <laughs> it really, truly is like that. And I, my first year with Teach for America, I taught in a very rural town that you've probably never heard of called Belzona, Mississippi. Uh, no. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like no man's land, Mississippi. And it was so similar to that because it was so small 
that literally everywhere you went, there was like a student. And then my second year I taught in Birmingham, which was a little bit bigger, but Birmingham is one of those cities that's like, it's big, but it's small, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Everybody knows everyone. Everybody, right. And so it was also that same feeling, but I love the feeling of community. Um, I didn't really mind it. I used to see students all the time. I used to just hate when students used to see me like when I was very comfortable, like when you know how you just wake up, you like, let me run to Walmart real quick. Put on like, some sweats, yeah, and that, that used to be like the most embarrassing because I feel like that's when students saw me was like when I was like, oh, let me just run to Walmart real quick or let me just go to the store. And all I would hear is, Mr. Gordon, is that you? And I'm like, yes, yes, it is me. It's me, a, a version of me that you've probably never seen. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I really love the community and I still keep in contact with a lot of my students. Surprisingly enough, and I'm probably going to age myself a little bit here. My, my class of students, my first year class of students actually are in college. Oh my. Which is crazy to me because I taught seventh grade. So it's crazy. And a lot of, some of them have already graduated. Some of them have like started families and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm old. Uh, (laughs) And it's crazy, Welcome but I enjoy world. I enjoy the community though. And like I said, I'm connected to a number of my students still via social media and stuff like that. So I can I can understand where your mom came from. I don't know if she enjoyed it as much she as I did. Loved it. Yeah. She absolutely loved it, which was why my father did all the grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise it just wasn't gonna get done. Yeah, I get it. I you know, and, and, you know, and, and my father was also methodical because he was in the military about how things got done. And okay. We have so many similarities. My dad was in the Marines. My, my dad was in the air force. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, it, so yeah, I get my type a personality from my dad. Yeah. Me too. Unfortunately, <laughs> my, my wife doesn't like it very much. She's like, there are you so cut and dry. I'm like, my dad it's yo, simple it is and cut my, to the chase and my dad was marines got out of the marines and then he just retired with 30 years from the seminole county sheriff's office Ooh. so he was like very much so military law enforcement like black and white no means no like if this is what it is this is what it is and so yeah i get it Mm-hmm. I, yeah it's interesting um and so being involved in, in education like that and, and being connected to community is, is really important. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, there are some advantages to that. There are some challenges with that. No, what would you say are the advantages of being a community-oriented educator? Um, I think it's the self-fulfillment for me. Like, it's really a passion of mine. Like, even how we're having this conversation, like, I'm really geek, geeked up about it. We it can really, tell. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm, it, it just, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't know why, where the connection came from. I don't know why it excites me, but I just love building community. That's, again, part of the reason why I chose my dissertation around culture, because so much of culture is built in community as well. And so for me, just to be able to look at data and read articles about the importance of community and culture and pretty much every aspect of what we do was like, okay, I know I'm not crazy. This is why I'm excited about it because this stuff does matter. Um, And so I think the advantage for me, um, I would say for me as a self-fulfillment 
overall, I would say the advantage of community is really just the connectedness and the benefits that come from connectedness um, to a group of people, whether that's to the university community, uh, community, whether that's to like your your home community, your church community, your religious community, wherever it may be, there are so many benefits from just the connectedness of that. And so I think that that's one of the biggest advantages is really those benefits. Okay. So I want to know more about your involvement in the community and why should people get involved? Um, I think it's important that we get involved not only where we work, but where we live, where we worship, all those things, because those are the things that make us who we are. Um, and I oftentimes, and not to get too religious, but I oftentimes believe that God has placed each of us on this earth to be of some type of help to someone else. And so we never know what gifts, what tools, what information, what knowledge we can share to others unless we're involved in our community, unless we're giving back. And I do feel like we're called those of us who are blessed in abundance or those of us who are blessed to have to give back as well. And so for me, that's a huge part of who I am. And I think that you know, it's a very fulfilling thing when you can give back. Not only, like I said, it may not be, you know, your workplace. It may be your home community or maybe where you worship, but just the, the feeling of being able to give back and to pour something out into the world, something positive out into the world and give back, I think it's just an amazing energy. Well, you know what they say, to whom much is given, much is much required. Is required yeah. Right? So, you know. We got to do what we got to do. Right. And I think, I think we, I think that's a good way of saying it. We do have to do it because a lot of these things, if we think about the way some of these things get done, it's through community, it's through connectedness. And that's a necessary part of, you know, helping our world go forward and, and mature and grow. So. All right. So. I want to talk a little bit about the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday okay. and this notion of giving and community and service. It's the only federal holiday designated as a national day of service. It's the only one. Okay. How do you think this honors Dr. King? I think that it honors him in a way how to say it? Because I feel like his life was service. I mean, if you think about during that time period in our country, the amount of sacrifice and service that it required for him to do what he did. I, I think a lot of people oftentimes see, oh, the glory of all these things. They have so many statues of him and oh, he has a holiday and all of these other things, but they don't see, you know, he had to sometimes hide because, you know, people tried to bomb the, the car he was driving in or they tried to have all these death threats against him or, you know, they don't talk about the discrimination he faced and him being jailed and all these other things and the, the amount of service and sacrifice that that took. I don't think a lot of people recognize that, but I think through this holiday and it being designated for that, I think it really causes people to really stop and pause and really reflect on that service and really you know, honor him through that service or the giving of service on that day. And a lot of people also don't recall that he was a reluctant servant. Yeah. Because when the um, uh, Montgomery boy bus boycott started and they were looking for someone to sort of 
engage with the people to lead that sort of thing. And, and some folks decided that this very young minister should be in this role. He told folks a hundred times no. Yeah. And said he wasn't interested. I'm just a pastor. I'm trying to pastor my church. I got a young family. He said no a hundred times over. And on number 101, someone convinced him to do it. And he moved forward. We probably have a lot of people who are reluctant servants. Yeah. How might we be able to encourage them? For me, I would just encourage them to look for a purpose that is beyond you. And I think, as you said, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had so many reasons to be like, hey, like I'm young. Like I got a young family. I got other stuff going on. I'm pastoring this church. I'm good. Like I don't I don't want to do this. But he saw a purpose beyond himself. And I think that, that was the real driving force. I can't speak for him because, again, he's not here. But. I, I believe that was a driving force. And I feel like that's what I would encourage anybody who's like, uh, I kind of have this yearning to do more, but I really don't know what it is. And I don't really want to do it because I have this to do and I have class and I have this and I have that. Find something that drives you, a purpose that is beyond you and really lean into that. Because again, our legacy is really what about we, what we leave in the world once we're gone. And I think that whatever our purpose is and whatever service and whatever things that we're able to leave behind is really, really the legacy that we leave behind. And so I would just think about, you know, something that's greater than you that, you know, you really feel a pulling towards um, to, to service. Okay. So I'm going to swing back around to your education for okay. just a hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. And so you've been involved in higher ed for a little while now and, and earned the degrees along the way and have really grown as a professional. So we're going to now look forward. Okay. And, I've, and, and I've asked this question thinking about my own journey as a, a higher ed professional and um, starting grad school way back when. <laughs> And um, really uh, thinking to myself, you know, when I was in graduate school, I just want a tenure track job. That's it. I want to teach my classes, do my research. I'm good. I don't need to do anything other than that. And then you woke up and you was the vice provost and dean. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember... Someone asking me um, when I took my first tenure track job and, and I was one of the few people on the planet that actually got hired for a tenure track job before I finished my degree. Oh, wow. That, that rarely happens. It doesn't happen. Folks, that rarely happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, and someone was like, do you think you want to be in administration? I'm like, nope. I just want to do my research, teach my classes, leave me alone. Don't ask me for anything else. I'm good. Crosses. Done. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, and I look back at all the things that I had the opportunity to do over the course of my career, which is now getting ready to walk into year 25. Oh, 
Um, and I've, you know, and I'm, I really feel blessed and fortunate to be in an opportunity where I can make a difference. So now here you are fairly newly minted PhD, 10 years. Where do you see your career? Oh man. Um, I'm going to reluctantly say that I do not want to go into the professorship. I love teaching. I know, I know. And everybody's like, why get a PhD if you don't want to teach? And it's just like. No, I mean, you don't have to teach and earn a PhD. And quite frankly, I'm going to say this for the people in the cheap seats way in the back who might be washing dishes and listening to this. Some people don't need to teach simply because they have a PhD. Not might not be your calling. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't hurt the babies. Okay. <laughs> Don't do it because you got a degree. Don't do it. Please. Don't do it. Save us all. Right. But yeah. But if you have a calling for that, yeah, you I should know. answer it. And that's the crazy. That's why I'm reluctant about. It. I feel like when you said a reluctant servant, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what I am to my life because teaching is something that I was good at even when I like was teaching when I was in Birmingham I was um I was teacher of the month like it just was something that came natural to me was teaching and but it's not something you know how you good at something but it's not really your passion I think that's kind of where I am with teaching like and I'll just be honest folks like (laughs) I it's something that naturally came to me like it's something I can do but I don't really have a passion for it I would see myself more so on the administrative side of the house, definitely still in higher ed. I know for a fact that higher ed is my passion. Um, I am definitely going to be doing something either at an institution or institution adjacent, something with higher ed, because I know for a fact that that's what my, my motive, my passion is, is higher ed. Now, you know, you can do both. I I know. I know. (laughs) I know. We're going to see. We're going to see about the teaching part. But I do know it's going to be in higher ed. Um, and I say that because I lived through that. Yeah. Right? I walked into my very first tenure track job thinking, great, I can do my, finish my research for my dissertation. I got a job. I could be in this job, in this office for the rest of my life and be perfectly content. And when I came in to sign my contract, the dean for the School of Ed at the time says to me, I'm going to give you an administrative job with this too. And I was like, wait, what? You want me to do what? I thought I was just going to be I teaching. I thought I was just going to be teaching a couple of classes, <laughs> right? And finishing my dissertation. That's what we talked about, right? She goes, well, I think you can do this. We need somebody to run our alternative teacher certification program for us here and We'll help you. You And I'm thinking, oh, man. This ain't what I signed up for. This was not I'm on my bingo card. Like, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just like, um. And I, I was super reluctant. And she's sitting there looking at me like, the answer is yes. <laughs> it's already here in the document. You and she already had it in the contract, right? She already had it in the contract. It's already here. Just sign, please. Thank you. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot, see how it goes. So I signed my name on the contract and got involved with, and and mind you, I am 
the newest and the youngest, most junior faculty member in the entire School of Ed at the time. And part of my job required wrangling these very senior faculty members and getting them on the schedule to teach these graduate courses for these people who wanted to become teachers out of other careers and making sure that they knew what courses they were teaching, making sure they had ordered their text, making sure they had turned in their course syllabi. You know, I'm telling these folk what to do and had to do it with some level of confidence to get them to do it. And after my first year, I was like, hmm, okay, that wasn't so bad. But I, but I really wanted to get like deeply ingrained in my research. And by the time I had, uh, was getting ready to finish my dissertation in my second year in this job, ABD, right? Um, I had an opportunity to do a postdoc which would have only focused on my research. And I was like, woo, exit door. <laughs> right? I'll say exit door number one. Thank you. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so when you think about your own career 10 years from now, you just never know yeah, I, I where really you're going to end up. And I'm open. I'm, I'm definitely open. I've always considered myself a lifelong learner um, and a lifelong explorer. So like for me, I'm not going to take anything off the table. I mean, at this juncture of of my life and career, I don't necessarily have a passion. The passion is not there. Uh, I'm not going to say the passion isn't there because I have a passion for, for higher ed in general. I just think the preference isn't there for teaching right now. And so for me, I love the administrative side of things. And even everybody, when I when I was talking to my dissertation chair about my dissertation, everybody was like, oh, you're doing something that's completely different because my dissertation focus completely on staff and which is a, a huge gap in the literature because sure. most higher education dissertations, articles, those type of things in the about literature. About faculty and students. It's about faculty and students. 95, well, I ain't gonna say 95, probably about 90% of it is faculty and students because there's so little about the importance of staff and how their impact impacts really every other aspect sure. of the institution. And so for me, that's really where my, my um, I guess the gas in my car is for now. And so, like you said, I don't know at what juncture when I have to fill up again, you know, what that's going to look like. And but it's interesting open. because, you know, when you look at the history of higher education, it was primarily just faculty and students on many college campuses with maybe your stray secretarial person who right. took minutes and meetings and sent correspondence to somebody or whatever, uh, or, or maybe wrote a check for somebody. And that's about it. Um, but at some point, faculty members at a lot of institutions were starting to get assigned roles where they were advising students and planning research projects and all those kinds of things and trying to manage all those things and still teach your classes and conduct your own research was getting to be a bit much at a lot of the larger, more sort of prominent institutions. And at some point, these institutions started developing classifications of staff members who would take on many of the things that help the institution run. You know, even when we think about 
where institutions are and the fact that, you know, even in my hometown in Philadelphia, you know, it snows, right? But students are still showing up for school. <laughs> Listen, they especially the terrible students, they always come. I used to be like, Lord, let them stay home. They gonna come. Whether it's cold, snowing, rainy, whatever, they gonna come. They're gonna come. Yeah. Right. And so that meant that you weren't just dealing with faculty and students. Somebody had to maintain the ground. Somebody had to make sure the buildings were warm. Somebody had to make sure the windows weren't broken. And then, you know, all of a sudden you have, you go from having people who were just maintaining the facility to people who were maintaining student life, right? So, you know, residence halls start going up or what they used to call dormitories, right? So somebody had to make sure that, you know, that young people came in at a certain time, right? Because I went, I started my college life as an undergrad at an institution that had a curfew. Yeah, they had, yeah, at the time um, when I went to FAMU, I'm aging myself, we had, um, we had a curfew and there were no co-ed dormitories at FAMU when I went to FAMU. Woo! So it was very much, so at a certain time, Girls got to go to the girls' dormitories. Boy, it was a lot of fire alarms pulled. <laughs> people trying to sneak people out. So I get it. I get it. Look, <laughs> I, I, I can raise my hand and say that I did not pull a fire alarm, but because the first year I lived in a residence hall um, in a room that was on the first floor, there were uh, plenty of people who were sneaking out of windows. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. All right, so um, advice you would give to our current co college students? I would say follow your passion. And what I mean by that is, is having been in advising for a number of years as a part of my career, I've experienced what we call an advising helicopter parents mm. who would say, my I want child, my son right. to be a doctor. Yeah, my child is going to be a doctor, but like their child is interested in art or my child is going to be this. And you could see like the life almost drained out of the child because mm -hmm. they're in a place or they end up failing out. They're not successful because they're in, they're doing something. They're learning about something that they really have no interest in. So I would say, despite what your parents may be doing, whatever your best friend or your friends are doing or telling you to do or Go with what you have a passion for, even if that changes. Like, even for me, I'm a clear example of that. I got a bachelor's degree in political science with a concentration in pre-law, and the rest of my degrees were in higher ed. Because it's okay, but go with whatever you have a passion with at that time. I mean, I still very much so love politics. I just don't want to be a lawyer anymore. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where if you go with your passion, you'll be successful. Because you're not doing it for everybody else. You'll be doing it for you. And you'll be as excited and as geeky as I am about higher ed because that's what you like. And so you'll, you'll be successful in that. Okay. That's good advice. And it's also it, we also have to make sure that students know that sometimes following that advice takes courage. Yeah, it does. And it is a sign of adulthood. And it really so, is. While some of our young people are reluctant to engage in adulting, that might be the perfect opportunity to do so. I know. I mean, it goes back to what we just said, reluctant service. Even if it's service to yourself, you have to just agree to it. Tell yourself, like, I'm going to do this for me. Mom is going to be upset. I mean, and even for me, um, going to FAMU, I probably shouldn't put this on camera, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> so 
mom, I was, I'm the baby of my family. And oh, my mom was, that explains a lot. My mom was convinced that I was not leaving. None of my siblings left this area, Central Florida at mm-hmm. all. And so I lied to my mom. Lord, forgive me. I've asked for forgiveness already. So we good. <laughs> but I lied to my mom and told her I actually applied to UCF. And when I was getting my letter, because I'm from here, mm-hmm. so UCF so was, was the school back, right? That. So I lied to her until I applied to UCF. But when I was getting my letters, like my letters of acceptance, like UCF never came, and she was like, "Well, you haven't got anything from UCF or nothing." I was like, "No, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened with that." And so ended up going to FAMU, and I never forget, like when I got to FAMU, my parents. Took me grocery shopping, helped me set up my room, and my mom did not say anything to me. She literally just went and got in the car, and she said nothing to me. I was just like, I don't know what to do, and my dad was like, son, you shouldn't have lied to your mom. Like, you should just let her know that this is what you Oh, so she do. figured out that she, she that you had lied to her. Yeah, because, I mean, if UCF was not an option. <laughs> No disrespect, I, I I am an alumni now, but at the time it was not, an, because for me, again, going back to what we're saying about having the courage to be a service, be of service to yourself, I didn't want to stay here. Like I had been here, I watched my siblings be here. I was like, I'm gonna have to go somewhere else. I have to do it for me. And so it was the best decision I made. Was it tough? Yeah, because I'm Living in Tallahassee, like three and a half hours away from all of my family. Um, I had a few friends that went with me to Tallahassee, but I didn't have any family members. I didn't have anybody there. So, you know, but it was really, really something that I think was one of the best decisions I made in my entire life. And so that's why I would encourage someone just, I mean, I know it's hard, but you have to do what is best for you and it'll definitely pay off in the long run and and you know we have a lot in common because a lot of my family members went to school in philadelphia my mother has a degree from temple i have cousins who have degrees from temple and when i started to apply to schools i applied to every place (laughs) i could get to as far away as i could get i'm with you i was like it's not happening at one point, uh, my parents had started asking me about where I was applying to school. And when I started listing the schools, uh, my mother said, we can't get there by car in a day. So you need to start applying to schools that we can get to in a day. And I thought, oh, man, let me do the math on that. <laughs> Define a day. <laughs> right? So I figured... You know, knowing my parents, I automatically assumed that meant daylight. Like, get up in the morning, drive, get there before it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> that bought you at least 12 hours. Uh, well, yeah, but, you know, if you got to stop for gas and food and whatnot, yeah. that's down to eight. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and while my dad served in the military, my mother did not. Oh, so. Yeah. My dad would have gotten up at four in order to be in the car by five, but my mother wasn't going to get up until six. So, <laughs> I feel you. So, balance. It's right, about balance. Right. Okay. So now we're going to get into what I call the lightning round. Okay, the lightning round. Okay. This is where our audience gets to learn a little bit about you as a person. Okay. 
I'm going to ask a few questions. Just tell me the first thing that comes to the top of your mind. Okay. Okay. Favorite color? Black. Oop, okay. I know. I know. The expectation is red, but I don't know. I, that's just... your expectation. <laughs> the, expected, the expected color, I think, for most people who know me, would probably say red. But it's black. I don't know where I get black from. All of a sudden, like, in my late, middle to late 20s, I just really started liking black. So black is, like, my favorite color. Secondary favorite color, if I just had to choose an actual color, because some people don't consider black a color, um, would be red. Okay. That'll work. Favorite song? Ooh. I am a huge music person. So I don't necessarily have a favorite like song all time, but I have a favorite song for the moment. And okay. I've been uh, a YouTuber that I watch, um, Terrell Grice. He has a show called The Terrell Show, and he most recently did um, a series of interviews with the original members of Destiny's Child. Oh! And so I know, right? So crazy. I know that most people don't even know that Beyonce was in a group, but whatever. Um, <laughs> they're like, Beyonce was in a group? I'm like... But Beyonce was in a group and there were four of them. Yeah, it was four of them. And then it was three. And But yeah, anyways. So one of the members, Latoya Luckett, she has a song called She Don't. Oh, it's an old song, but it's yeah. like my favorite song at the moment because she sung a piece of it on there and it like brought back all this nostalgia because the song was like from 20, I want to say it's from like 2003 or something mm -hmm. like that. And, um, but it's been like stuck in my head. So I've been playing enough. Her career is taking off. Yeah. She's doing like acting, all type of stuff. So yeah, she's, it's great to see her doing well, but that's my favorite song for the moment. All right. Excellent. Favorite artist. Oh, the Whitney Elizabeth Houston. Oh. Okay. Also known as my Auntie Nippy. Oh! Forever my favorite artist. Okay. <laughs> I love her. Um, if I Jersey had to do, girl. If, yes, very much so. She's from yes. Newark. Yeah. Um, no, she's no, from, from East Orange. Let's get it straight. East Orange. I'm not from that, so I don't know. But I do know, uh, if I had to choose a living favorite artist, it would be Jasmine Marie Sullivan. Oh, yeah. Philly I love girl. Her. She's a Philly, Philly girl. She is a Philly girl. I love Jasmine. She's on the grind. Yeah, I love her. Yes. I love her. She's awesome. Yeah, I do. Love, I love her so much. Although, my latest obsession is Coco Jones. I love, you know, she was nominated for five Grammys. What? Yes. I'm super I'm so excited for, I love Coco. Yeah, if you're listening, Coco, I love you and I wish you all the best. But yeah, she was nominated I, for five Grammys. I really Grammys. like her in Bel Air, though. Yeah, she's really, really she's good. She's really good. Well, you know, she started her career as an actress because she used to be on the Disney Channel as well. Okay. And then she really, again, when we talk about courage, stepped out and was like, I really want to do music. And you know, a lot of people talk about how hard it is to transition from like acting to music, but she's done a phenomenal job of transitioning and. Look, now she's nominated for five Grammys. She's awesome. Yeah, love her. Yes. Okay. Favorite movie? Y'all gonna hate me. I am not like a TV person. Um, I would have to say favorite, and this is gonna sound very childish, but it's okay. Um, is Hercules 
the Disney Channel movie. Oh. Like I literally know every song oh my from the goodness. soundtrack. Like I literally <laughs> am, and I'm a I'm ashamed to. I'm not ashamed to say this. I'm gonna be honest. I have the soundtrack on my phone, so like I listen to like the original soundtrack. Okay. Like it is like regular music, everyday music. So I would say it's probably one of my favorite movies. Um, of all times. Other than that, I'm kind of into whatever. I don't really watch a lot of a ton of TV. Well, I, I don't watch a ton of TV. I do love a good movie. Yeah, I like a good movie, but I don't think I have anything I could just watch all the time. I'm a Trekkie. Oh, are you? Oh, all day and all night and twice on Sunday. You would hate me. I've never one of I like never could get into it. I don't know what, and I'm like I'm into sci-fi, I'm into all those things, but I just. I don't know. Like, it just never clicked for me. I've been watching Star Trek since I was a kid. I was watching the reruns of the original series. And I know it's been around, and there's been so many spinoffs and all this stuff, and I've never... And my most favorite Trek series right now is Discovery. Okay. With, See, I don't uh, know. Sonequa Martin-Green. She's awesome. I'm at a loss. I, I'm honestly never... I know what it is, but I've never, ever seen it. Yeah. You're missing out. I know. I'm going I'm to I'm see. Maybe I'll get into it. I don't know. For whatever reason, it just never. Re- that and Star Wars. I just never. I, I, I like know the Star it. Wars movies, but the series, I'm, I'm having trouble getting into it. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It just never really hit me. Like, I never got the bug. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. It's all right. It's okay. Favorite, <laughs> favorite actor. Favorite actor, male actor, I would say Denzel Washington. Like, he's done some really, really great stuff. Um, favorite movie by him was The Great Debaters. Oh, I really, love and that I think movie. it's because I really was at, I really thought I was gonna be a lawyer. But that y'all. was an ensemble cast. It was too. really good. It was really good. But yeah, I would say Denzel Washington. Okay. Favorite actress? I'm gonna go with Viola Davis. Oh, yeah. When I tell you she played, um, her last name was Keaton. I forgot what her first name was in the show. Um, oh, oh, uh, how to get away with murder? And how to get away with murder? When I tell you she played that role, and then I also got a chance to see the Woman King like three times. That oh, was super. She was that amazing was awesome. in the Woman King. So yes, that I would say Viola Davis. Love her. Favorite book? Ooh, I mean. I'm going to sound real churchy, but I would say the Bible is number one. But outside of that non-religious text, um, I've really been into Tabitha Brown in her books. Um, uh, her book, Feeding the Soul, um, was good. And I just love her. Like her book, when I read it, it sounded like her. You know, you read people books and it don't really sound like who they are in person. Because, you know, she's like a it, like a social media personality. So, like, seeing her and watching her, reading her book sounded like her. Which, if I don't know if anybody else kind of resonates with that. Like, where you're reading a book and you're like, I can hear this person, like, saying these things to me. And so, yeah, I just love her. All right. Excellent. Um... One last question, and this is a question that I started asking after watching the um, HBO Max, which is now Max, um, series uh, with Laverne Cox, if if we're being honest. It's a, a conversational sort of talk show piece, but she is always only talking to one person. It's an up and coming artist, typically. Um, 
And she ends her interviews by asking, was there something that I didn't ask that I should have asked? So I'm going to ask you, is there something that I didn't ask that I should have asked? Nothing at all. I have no secrets to reveal. Ah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, nothing. I would say nothing at all. I am happy to have had the conversation and, and express so many different facets of my life, though. So I am grateful for the opportunity. But I don't think if there's anything I would want to share that I didn't share. Oh, I have one. Okay. okay. Well, I guess there is <laughs> something that we did not discuss. Dr. No, oh. we did not discuss your membership in the illustrious fraternity. The Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Yes. So I am a member, a proud member um, of Kappa Alpha Psi. Um, And yeah, I mean, going back to what we said about community, um, for those who don't know, uh, Kappa Alpha Psi is one of the historically black founded fraternities um, that were founded during the time where we as a people didn't have community. Um, more so than that, I think I value it so much more now as a black male professional because it is a male only fraternity. So being around other educated um, African-American males um, and having that community and that camaraderie um, has had such a huge impact on my life. Um, so, you know, for me, it's it's been an amazing journey and I'm appreciative um, for my local chapter here that I'm associated with the Winter Park alumni chapter. Shout out to y'all. Um, <laughs> yo to the noobs. Um, I appreciate them because, I mean, they grow me in a lot of the the older brothers, the seasoned brothers um, that are in the fraternity have been so great for me. Like, you know, just helping to push me to grow, you know, as a man, as a person, as a professional. And I'm just super grateful for that. Like, they're definitely a part of my community and I'm appreciative of that. So thank you for bringing that up since that is something that I probably should have brought up. We talked about community, but I did. So yeah, that was a good one. See ya. Okay. Now, one other thing. A little birdie told oh, me no. that you sing yes i i do i do but i don't um i don't sing publicly no i was just joking i do sing publicly but yes i do i um actually sang with the famu gospel choir um during my tenure at famu which was super amazing we sung with some big name gospel artists, which I'm super grateful for. We got a chance to sing with the Clark sisters, Kurt Franklin. We've sung, I've sung with Donna McClurkin, Angela Spivy, um, Beverly Crawford. Um, so it's, it has been a journey and I'm grateful for, you know, the little piece of gift God gave me that he allowed me to use. Um, yeah, I'm grateful for it. But a little birdie also told me that you also, are classically trained. I am. See? Look, the birdies is, is humming. <laughs> so the birdies need to fly. Yeah. Right away. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But yeah, I, I mean, and it's, you know, it, it is a love of mine. So yeah, I do say. Okay. Well, on that note, we will end this conversation. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for joining us. I so appreciate your presence and getting your words of wisdom, not only for higher education professionals, but also for our college students. 
who are aspiring to reach their goals and their dreams. We are thrilled to have you as a member of our family in the College of Undergraduate Studies. I am thrilled to be here. And let me tell you something. I'm not just saying this because I'm getting paid, but I'm saying this because <laughs> I am happy, truly happy to be a part of this team. Like it has been a breath of fresh air for me. Um, and I think it is truly in alignment with where I see myself eventually going. So the team has been spectacular and I'm excited to be here. I really, really am. Excellent. And on that note, we will thank our audience, our viewers, and our listeners for joining us on Academically Speaking. I'm Dr. Theodora Regina Berry, and have a great day. Have a good one.